When Scrooge awoke, it was so dark that he could scarcely distinguish the transparent window from the opaque walls of his chamber. He was trying to peer into the darkness with his beady eyes when the chimes of a nearby church struck the four quarters, so he listened for the hour. To his great astonishment, the heavy bell went on from six to seven and from seven to eight and regularly up to twelve, then stopped. Twelve? It was past two when I went to bed. The clock is wrong. An icicle must have got into the works. Twelve. He checked the bedside clock, only to hear its rapid little pulse beat twelve. Why, it isn't possible. I've slept through a whole day and far into another night, or that something has happened to the sun and this is twelve at noon. Shocked and confused, he scrambled out of bed and groped his way to the window. He rubbed the frost off with his sleeve before he could still see very little. All he could make out was that it was still very foggy and extremely cold, and that there was no noise of people running to and fro and making a great stir, as there unquestionably would have been if night had conquered day and taken possession of the world. Scrooge went back to bed and thought, and thought, and thought it over and over and over, and could make no sense of it. The more he thought, the more confused he was, and the more he tried not to think, the more he thought. Marley's ghost bothered him exceedingly. Every time he convinced himself that it was all a dream, his mind sprang back again to its first position, and he found himself asking, "'Was it a dream or not?' Scrooge lay awake pondering for forty-five minutes when he remembered suddenly that Marley had warned him of a visitation when the bell tolled one. Since he couldn't sleep anyway, he decided to lie awake until the hour was past. The next fifteen minutes seemed to stretch so long that more than once he was convinced he must have dozed off and missed the clock chime. But then... The quarter passed... Half past. Quarter to it. The hour itself and nothing else. But he had spoken before the hour bell sounded, which it now did with a deep, dull, hollow, melancholy one. Instantly, light flashed up in the room and the curtains of his bed were drawn. His bed curtains were drawn aside, I tell you, by a hand. And Scrooge sat up, startled, and found himself face to face with the unearthly visitor who drew them, as close to it as I am to you, if I were standing next to you. It was a strange figure, like a child, yet not like a child, but like an old man, viewed through some supernatural medium which gave him the appearance of having backed away and being diminished to a child's size. Its hair, which hung about its neck and down its back, was white, as if with age, and yet the face had not a wrinkle in it. The arms were very long and muscular, the hands the same, as if its grip would be uncommonly strong. Its arms, along with its legs and feet, were bare. It wore a pure white tunic and had a beautifully shiny belt around its waist. It held a branch of fresh green winter holly in its hand, but its tunic was trimmed with summer flowers. The strangest thing about it was 
that from the crown of its head shone a bright, clear jet of light, which made all this visible, and under its arm it held a great candle-snuffer it seemed to use for a cap. On second look, Scrooge decided this was not its strangest quality, for its belt sparkled and glittered now in one part and now in another, and what was light one instance at another time was dark, so the figure itself seemed to fluctuate in its distinctness, looking like a thing with one arm, then with one leg, then with twenty legs, then a pair of legs with no head, then a head with no body, then it would be itself again, distinct and clear as ever. Are you the spirit, sir, whose coming was foretold to me? I am. The voice was soft and gentle, but sounded as if, instead of being so close beside him, it were at a distance. Who and what are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past? No, your past. Scrooge didn't know why, but he had a special desire to see the spirit in his cap and begged him to put it on. Hmm. Would you so soon put out the light I give? Is it not enough that you are one of those who made this cap and force me to wear it low on my head through the whole year? I don't recall ever having made a hat. Why are you here? Your welfare. I am much obliged, but wouldn't a night of unbroken rest have been more conducive to that end? Your reclamation, then. It put out its strong hand and took him gently by the arm. Rise and walk with me. I'm really not dressed for going out. I'm just in my robe and slippers. Besides, it's well below freezing out there and I have a bit of a cold... I think I should stay in the bed where it's warm. The spirit's grasp, though gentle as a woman's, was not to be resisted. So he rose, but when the spirit moved towards the window, Scrooge clasped his robe. I am mortal. I'll fall. Just a touch of my hand upon your heart, and you shall be upheld in more than this. As the words were spoken, they passed through the wall. The city had vanished, and suddenly they stood on an open country road with fields on either side. It was a clear, cold winter day with snow on the ground. Good heavens! I was born in this place. I was a boy here. The spirit gazed upon him mildly. Scrooge was conscious of a thousand smells floating in the air, each one connected with a thousand thoughts and hopes and joys and cares long, long forgotten. Your lip is trembling. And what is that upon your cheek? It's nothing. A pimple, perhaps. And my lip is trembling because it's freezing here. Just lead me where you will. You remember the way? Remember it? I could walk it blindfolded. Strange to have forgotten it for so many years. Let us go on. They walked along the road, Scrooge recognizing every gate and post and tree until a little town appeared in the distance, with its bridge, its church, and winding river. Some shaggy boys riding ponies trotted towards them, calling out to other boys in carts driven by farmers. And as they came, Scrooge knew and named them every one. These are but shadows of the things that have been. They have no consciousness of us. He was overjoyed to see them. His cold eye glistened and his heart leapt as they greeted each other with shouts of Merry Christmas. What is Merry Christmas to you, Ebenezer? What good has it ever done to you? 
Scrooge was surprised to hear his own words, spoken harshly to his nephew, repeated back to him by the spirit. The school is not quite deserted. A solitary child, neglected by his friends, is left there still. I know. I remember. They soon approached a building of dull red brick, a little cupola on the roof with a weather vane on top and a bell hanging in it. The spacious offices were rarely used, their walls damp and mossy, the windows broken and their gates rusted. Entering the dreary hall and glancing through the open doors of the mini rooms, they found them poorly furnished, cold and vast. There was a musty smell in the air, a chilly bareness in the place. The spirit led Scrooge to a door at the back of the school. It opened before them to show a long, bare, melancholy room made barer still by lines of empty desks. At one of these, a lonely boy was reading near a feeble fire, and Scrooge sat and wept, seeing his poor, forgotten self as he used to be. Not a sound could be heard in the room. Not a squeak or scuffle from the mice behind the panelling. Not a drip from the half-thawed water spout in the dull yard behind. Not a sigh among the leafless boughs of the lone, despondent poplar tree. Not a clicking in the fire. The silence fell upon the heart of Scrooge with a softening influence as his tears streaked his leathery cheek. The spirit touched him on the arm and pointed to his younger self intent upon his reading. Suddenly, a man in foreign garments, wonderfully real and distinct, stood outside the window with an axe stuck in his belt and leading a donkey laden with wood. Why, it's Alibaba. It's dear old honest Alibaba. Yes, yes, I know. One Christmas time, when this young solitary child was left here all alone, he imagined him for the first time, just like that. And there's the Sultan's groom turned upside down by the genie. Served him right, he was glad of it. Uh, What business had he to be married to the princess? There's the parrot, green body and yellow tail, with a thing like a lettuce growing out of the top of his head. Poor Robin Crusoe, he called him, when he came home again after sailing around the island. Poor Robin Crusoe, where have you been, Robin Crusoe? The man thought he was dreaming, but he wasn't. It was the parrot, you know. There goes Friday, running for his life to the little creek. To hear Scrooge excitedly recalling the stories he had read as a boy... Shifting between laughing and crying, to see the excitement on his face would have been a surprise to his business acquaintances in the city indeed. Then, with a change very foreign to his usual character, he seemed to show pity for his former self. Poor boy. I wish. But it's too late now. What is it? Nothing. Nothing. There was a boy singing a Christmas carol at my door last night. I should have given him something, that's all. Let us see another Christmas. Scrooge's former self grew larger at the words, and the room became a little darker and more dirty. The panels shrunk, the windows cracked, fragments of plaster fell out of the ceiling. And there he was, alone again when all the other boys had gone home for the jolly holidays. He was not reading now, but walking up and down despairingly. Scrooge looked at the ghost and, with a mournful shaking of his head, glanced anxiously towards the door. It opened 
and a little girl, much younger than the boy, came darting in and putting her arms around his neck. Dear, dear brother, I have come to bring you home. Home, little fan? Yes, home, for good and all. Home forever and ever. Father is so much kinder than he used to be. That home's like heaven. He spoke so gently to me the other night when I was going to bed that I was not afraid to ask him once more if you might come home. And he said, yes, you should, and sent me in a coach to bring you. We're to be together all the Christmas long and have the merriest time in all the world, and you are never to come back here. You are quite a woman, little fan. She clapped her hands and laughed and began to drag him towards the door. Always such a delicate creature, but she had a large heart. So she had. She died a woman and had, I think, children. One child. True. Your nephew. Yes. They left the school behind them and were now in the busy thoroughfares of a city where shadowy passengers passed and shadowy carts and coaches battled for the way. It was made plain enough by the dressing of the shops that here, too, it was Christmas time again. But it was evening, and the streets were all lit up. The ghost stopped at a certain warehouse door. Do you know this place? Know it? I was apprenticed here. They went in and found an old gentleman in a Welsh wig, sitting behind such a high desk that if he had been two inches taller, he'd have knocked his head against the ceiling. Why, it's old Fezziwig. Bless his heart, it's Fezziwig alive again. Old Fezziwig laid down his pin and looked up at the clock, which showed seven o'clock. He rubbed his hands, adjusted his waistcoat, and laughed. <laughs> Scrooge's former self, now a grown young man, came briskly in, accompanied by his fellow printers. Dick Wilkins, to be sure. Bless me, <laughs> yes, there he is. He very much looked up to me, you know, poor dear. Yeah, oh, my boys. No more walk tonight. Christmas Eve, Dick. <laughs> Christmas Ebenezer. Uh, let's have the shutters put up before a man can say Jack Robinson. You wouldn't believe how those two fellows went at it. They charged into the street with the shutters. One, two, three, had them up in their places. Four, five, six, barred them and pinned them. Seven, eight, nine, and came back before you could have got twelve. Panting like racehorses. Oh, <laughs> clear away, lads. Let's have lots of room here. <laughs> chop, chop, Ebenezer. It was done in a minute. Every movable was packed off. The floor was swept and mopped. The lamps were trimmed. Fuel was heaped upon the fire. And the warehouse was as snug and warm and transformed into as bright a ballroom as you would want to see upon a winter's night. In came the fiddler, followed by Mrs. Fezziwig, one vast, substantial smile. In came three Fezziwig daughters, beaming and lovable. In came all the young men and women employed in the business, some shyly, some boldly, some gracefully, some awkwardly, some pushing, some pulling. In they all came. Then the dancing started. Twenty couples at once. Hands half round and back again the other way. Down the middle and up again, round and round. Some couple always turning up in the wrong place. Another couple starting off again as soon as they got there. And finally old Fezziwig clapped his hands to stop the dance. Well done! <laughs> there were more dances and uh, more dances. There was cake and there was punch. And there was a great piece of cold beef and mince pies. But the highlight of the evening came after the feast. When the fiddler began to play a certain jig and old Fezziwig stood out to dance with Mrs. Fezziwig. 
Old Fezziwig was quite the dancer, and Mrs. Fezziwig was a worthy partner. They shone in every part of the dance like moons. You couldn't have predicted at any given time what they would do next. And when old Fezziwig and Mrs. Fezziwig had gone all through the steps, advance and retire, both hands to your partner, bow and curtsy, corkscrew, thread the needle and back again to your place, Fezziwig cut so deftly that he appeared near exhausted, gathered his feet and began again. When the clock struck eleven, the domestic ball broke up. Mr. and Mrs. Fezziwig took their stations, one on either side of the door, and, shaking hands with every person as he or she went out, wished him or her a Merry Christmas. When everybody had retired but the two princesses, they did the same to them, and thus the cheerful voices died away and the lads were left to their beds, which were under a counter in the back of the shop. During the whole of this time, Scrooge had acted like a man out of his wits. His heart and soul were in the scene with his former self. He corroborated everything, remembered everything, enjoyed everything. It was not until now, when the bright faces of his former self and Dick were turned from them, that he remembered the ghost and became conscious that it was looking at him while the light upon its head burnt very clear. A small matter to make these silly folks so full of gratitude. Small? Is it not? He has spent but a few pounds of your mortal money. Three or four, perhaps. Is that so much that he deserves this praise? It isn't that, spirit. He has the power to render us happy or unhappy, to make our service light or burdensome, a pleasure or a toil. The happiness he gives is quite as great as if it cost a fortune. Why, it... it... What is the matter? Nothing particular. Something, I think? No. No. I should like to be able to say a word or two to my clerk just now, that's all. My time grows short. Again, Scrooge saw himself. He was older now, a man in the prime of life. His face did not yet show the harsh, rigid lines of later years, but had begun to wear the signs of care and greed. There was an eager, restless motion in the eye which showed the passion that had taken root and where the shadow of the growing tree would fall. He was not alone, but sat by the side of a fair young girl with tears in her eyes which sparkled in the light that shone out of the ghost of Christmas past. It matters little to you. Very little. Another idol has displaced me, and if it can cheer and bring you comfort in the days ahead, as I would have, I have no just cause to grieve. What idol has displaced you? A golden one. This is the way of the world. There is nothing it sees is more cruel than poverty, and there is nothing it condemns more harshly than the pursuit of wealth. You fear the world too much. All your other hopes have merged into the hope of being beyond the reach of poverty. I have watched your nobler aspirations fall off one by one until pursuit of wealth consumes your every thought. I've simply grown wise to the world. I've seen how it works. I'll not be taken advantage of or made to suffer by those in society who see themselves as better than me. But I'm not changed towards you. Haven't you? We entered into our engagement when we were both poor and content to be so, until through patience and hard work we could make our way together. You were a different man then. I was a boy. You know that you've changed. You are not the same. But I am. 
The dream that promised happiness when we were one in heart is misery now that our hearts are separate. I've given this a lot of thought, and I'm ready now to release you. Have I ever sought release? In words? No, never. In what, then? In a changed nature. In an altered spirit. You have a new dream with different goals. You've set aside everything that made my love of any worth or value in your sight. If we had not met when we did, would you even look my way now? Would you seek me out and try to win me now? You think not. I would gladly think otherwise if I could. Heaven knows. But if you were free today, tomorrow, I can't believe that you would choose a poor, calming girl who you would weigh everything by gain. And even if you did set aside your one guiding principle to do so, I know that regret would surely follow. So, I release you. With a full heart. For the love of the man you once were. Perhaps someday, you look back at what we had, what we could have had, and have a moment of pain. A part of me hopes you will. But it won't last long. You will dismiss the memory of it as an unprofitable dream that you awoke from. May you be happy in the life you have chosen. Spirit, why do you delight in torturing me? Show me no more. Take me home. One shadow more. No more. No more. I don't wish to see it. Show me no more. But the relentless ghost pinned both his arms and forced him to observe another scene and place. The room was not very large or fancy, but full of comfort. Near the winter fire sat a beautiful young girl, so like the last that Scrooge believed it was the same. But then he saw her, now a mother, sitting across from her daughter. The noise in this room was perfectly tumultuous, for there were more children there than Scrooge in his agitated state of mind could count. They were so animated and full of energy that each one was equal to forty but no one seemed to care. Instead, the mother and daughter laughed heartily and enjoyed it very much, and the daughter soon joined the fray. Then a knocking at the door was heard, and such a rush immediately ensued as all rushed to greet the father, who came home burdened with Christmas toys and presents. Shouts of wonder and delight rang out with every package received. The joy and gratitude and ecstasy... They are all indescribable alike. Then, in a trickle, all the children except the oldest daughter left the parlour and climbed the stairs to the top of the house, where they went to bed. And now Scrooge looked on more attentively than ever, as the father, with his daughter leaning fondly on him, sat down with her and her mother at his own fireside. And when Scrooge thought that, in another life, such a creature quite as graceful and as full of promise, might have called him father and been a bright touch of spring to him in the haggard winter of his life. His sight grew very dim indeed. Say, Belle, I saw an old friend of yours this afternoon. Who was it? Mr. Scrooge. I passed his office window working by the light of a single candle. His partner lies on his deathbed. And there he sat, alone. Quite alone in the world, I believe. 
spirit. Remove me from this place. I told you, these are shadows of things that have been. They are what they are. Do not blame me. Remove me. I cannot bear it. Leave me. Take me back. Haunt me no longer. It turned upon the ghost, and in its face, in some strange way, there were fragments of all the faces it had shown him. He wrestled with the spirit, and in the struggle, if it could be called a struggle since the spirit gave no visible resistance yet was unmoved by any of Scrooge's efforts, seeing that its light was burning high and bright, Scrooge seized the extinguisher cap and pressed it down upon the spirit's head. The spirit shrank beneath it so that the cap covered it entirely. But even though Scrooge pressed it down with all his might, he could not hide the light. It streamed out from under the cap in an unbroken flood upon the ground. Suddenly exhausted and overcome by an irresistible drowsiness and finding himself in his own bedroom, Scrooge gave the cap a parting squeeze, stumbled to the bed, and sank into a heavy sleep. The second of four episodes of A Christmas Carol, presented by The Joy FM, adapted from Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol by Dave Cruz, directed by Dave Cruz and Chris Byerly, voice work by Dave Cruz, Chris Byerly, Alicia Byerly, Candace Gray, Sarah Castor, and Bill Martin, sound designed by Chris Byerly, music and Foley effects from Epidemic Sound. Don't miss an episode. Listen wherever you listen to podcasts.